0: I always am, some, not always, but sometimes interested to see how God uses messages that God starts. God and I start wrestling with weeks ahead of time. And this message today just happens to land on this particular weekend because I want to talk today about four things Christians are not because there are a lot of misconceptions about Christianity uh, today. And one of the things uh, that has happened for me recently is I recently signed a letter uh, uh, calling for justice for Ahmaud Aubrey. And that happened before the George Floyd, w- his life was, was taken uh, this past week. And what it was, lab- there was a label on that. We There was a group of white evangelical pastors here in the state of Washington that were crying out for justice uh, to our leaders and to our, our nation. And I think we continue to do that even this week after we we're seeing what happened to George Floyd. We're calling for justice Uh, And part of this, though, is about the label, that label, White Evangelical. Add, for me, White Male Evangelical Christian. And uh, I've been struggling with that label, if I'm really honest with you, about labeling myself that way. And because that has a lot of negative assumptions and uh, and connotations to it today. And so there's a part of me that just kind of wants to shed those labels because of the negativity around those. But really, if I read about what it means to be evangelical, I, I would agree. I have a high view of Scripture. I believe in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. I also um, <clears throat> believe that the love of Christ, is the love of God is expressed through Christ on the cross, and those are evangelical viewpoints. But the other thing that gets missed is that evangelicals have always been for global and social justice as well. They've always been for activism in those areas globally as well as socially. And that's always been a part of our history as Wesleyans, as Methodists as well. Both personal and social holiness is what we're called to. And so I think that as I'm talking today, I'm really also just being honest with you and say, I struggle with some of these labels. But I know that other cultures also struggle with those labels, that the dominant culture has also put negative connotations on the culture that we call black, or Asian, or Native American, right? Or any of those, or Hispanic, Latina, Latino. So all those labels have also their own baggage. And that's the thing about this, is that we tend to make these labels and take these labels and generalize them to other people, not saying that they weren't shaped by this culture. I was certainly shaped by my culture. But the thing is, is that every culture, my culture is broken, (laughs) Every culture is broken and in need of God's redemption in Jesus Christ. And so I'm hopeful that we can at some point move to a place and a day where we're able to see each other as God sees us, created in the image of God. George Floyd was created in the image of God. His life had worth and value because he was created in the image of God. And I think we need to begin to move to that place where we can shed some of the negativity. We can shed some of the brokenness of our cultural upbringings and move to see each other as God sees sees us. And so what would it look like for us to do that? I think part of that is what I want to talk about today is there's some misconceptions. There's some negativity around some of these labels that I just want to unpack a little bit and really say to the faith community and say to myself and say to others out there in the world, that these are things we're not, right? These are, th- these are assumptions. These are misconceptions. And so I want to take us back to that verse that Jesus said. And notice that Jesus is saying this. He's, he's had the Last Supper with his disciples. He's washed his disciples' feet. He's predicted the betrayal of Judas. He's predicted the denial of Peter. And he's getting ready to teach them about the Holy Spirit. Today is also Pentecost Sunday in the church. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But he's also promising them that the Holy Spirit, the advocate, would come to them. And sandwiched between all these events and the promise of the Holy Spirit is this command that Jesus gives us. Here it is again. He says, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think about this commands to love one another, this new command, Jesus calls it. And notice so, the first point of this is Christians are not haters. We're not, we're not haters. We don't hate other people. Uh, that's a label that gets thrown around. That's a word, a term that gets thrown around a lot. And we think that because there are disagreements, if there's a disagreement, that we hate that person that we disagree with. And I don't know that that's always true. In fact, hate is a very strong word. Hate means that I have such. Uh, dislike for a person that I want to get rid of them. I want them gone, right? I want them out of my neighborhood. I want them out of my life. That's hatred. Uh, that's That's where racism stems from, is that hatred of not wanting that other person there or in your life. To want to get rid of somebody or say, I don't want you in my neighborhood. I don't want you in my life. That's hatred. We as Christians are not called to that. We're called to love. We're called to love all people, even when it's hard to love other people. Now I think a lot of times uh, in faith communities and Christian communities, I think sometimes there are things that I would call a foolishness. So for example, when I was uh, teaching a parenting class, we would talk to parents about discipline and how do you discipline your children. And part of discipline was also trying to read your child's heart, trying to understand what was going on in their heart. Were they just being foolish? Were they just being kids because they didn't know any better. They didn't have life experience. They weren't aware. And so those were times when they would just act foolishly. They just didn't know any better. They just weren't aware of what it meant to, to, be, uh, uh, you know, to be mature. And so they were childish things. They were foolish behaviors that they occurred. And so you would discipline that differently than a child who was rebellious or malicious in their intent. And so when there was maliciousness, when they were being mean to another kid, or being mean, or being rebellious, or doing or acting with maliciousness in their heart, we as parents have to discern that, and we discipline that differently than we discipline foolishness. And so foolishness requires instruction and correction, but maliciousness really needs strong uh, uh, discipline, right? And I think that's where we have to. Dr- racism is maliciousness, is hate. I think sometimes, too, I would say that sometimes we have to be aware that we're just being foolish. That we're sometimes in Christianity and faith and faith communities, we're just not aware or we're not sensitive to the other issues of other cultures. And the best thing to help that when we're just being foolish, because I don't meet many Christians that are malicious. There are some out there. I don't want to say that they're not. But I think most of what we fall into is this foolishness, not being aware. What's helped me, and I would encourage you, what's always helped me is going and listening and talking to people from other cultures, other backgrounds, and hearing their story, hearing about their experience. And as I listen to their story and get to know them, I also begin to see them more how God sees them. I get to see how God loves them and values them and what their life experience is. And that helps me to become more aware and more sensitive to not being foolish when I address those issues. And I'm still foolish. I still make mistakes today. uh, And I probably will make some more mistakes. But the point is, is that Christians are called to love and find ways of loving others, not hating others. I don't know many Christians that really hate. We're all seeking to love others. The other thing I would say from this passage is that, um, or basically I want to back up. Sorry, I want to remind you of this verse. See, I want to remind us of this verse in James. James chapter two says this, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. If you do this, you sin. When you and I show favoritism to a particular group of people or to a particular culture or if we, or to a particular class, When we do that, we're sinning. When we say to somebody, we don't want to be around you, but we want to be around you, we're showing favoritism. And that, God says, is sin. Something that we need to be aware of, something that we need to repent of, of showing favoritism. Racism at its core is favoritism. And so we need to address that within ourselves. The other thing is that Christians are not pragmatists. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, i don 't see anything practical about love i don 't know about you, but if you know if I buy my wife a vacuum cleaner that 's a practical gift, but it doesn 't communicate love, does it? Uh, in fact, I will probably not feel that my wife will not feel love if I do it. A lot of times. love is not pragmatic in fact, love is extravagant at times. Love is sacrificial at times. I think of Jesus and the woman who came and took a year 's wages and poured that out and anointed him with that perfume. That was an extravagant act of love. Think about the, the, the prodigal son coming home who had done so many things against his father and his family, and his father runs out and hugs him, and it loves him extravagantly. Sacrificial love is extravagant love. It means giving up my way of loving to help someone else know that they're loved. We talk about this in couples counseling all the time, the five languages of love, right? Uh, gift giving, words of affirmation, Uh, acts of service, touch, and then quality time. Those are the languages of love. But sacrificial love says, how can I speak your language? Not my own language. I'm not going to expect you to speak my language, but how do I speak your language? How do I communicate love to you? And interestingly, maybe even sometimes in a new way, an extravagant way, and sacrificial love. Sacrificial love puts self aside to help love others in a way that's extravagant. So it's not, I have never seen love work practically. Uh, It's always impractical at times and inconvenient at times and uncomfortable at times. So think about that. So Christians are not pragmatists, although sometimes we can tend to be. I I think also Christians are not traditionalists. Um, Did you hear what Jesus said? He said, a new command I give you. Now this is strange because We know that this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And we know that this is taught in the Old Testament, to love others. So what does Jesus mean? A new command. Isn't this an old command? What Jesus is saying is, he's saying renew it, refresh it. He's saying find new ways of loving others. So whatever way you've been loving, find a new way to express God's love to other people. We need to let go of the old ways. Uh, one place you learn this best is when you go into the mission field and you encounter other cultures, um, and you are also confronted with your own culture, and you're confronted with your own comfort level and your own conveniences. I remember this on a trip to Jamaica. We took a team to an orphan, to work in an orphanage in Jamaica, and uh, we got there the first day, and the young women that lived in the dormitory there at the orphanage gave up their dorm room, their beds, for our young women on our team, and so... The first night, the young women got in there, they unpacked their bags. That night after dinner, they went in, and there, one of our adult leaders came out in tears. There were cockroaches in the dormitory. there were giant spiders in the showers. And so the, the adult leaders, the young women, were just in tears because they had never stayed in a place like this, because they had grown up in our developing first world you know, first world problems, right? So they come at this and they go, We can't sleep with cockroaches. We can't sleep with spiders. And I wonder about the women who spent every night with those cockroaches, the women who spent every night with those spiders in their bathroom. They lived there. That was their dorm. That was where they slept every night. And to hear that their place where they lived was not worthy of Americans, right? I thought about that, how they received that and how they have felt about that. And you know what? See, part of loving others is setting aside our own preferences. is about setting aside our own convenience. It's about setting aside sometimes our own comfort and what's comfortable for us. And that's why we're not traditionalists. We don't hold on to our preferences. We don't hold on to the past. Jesus says, find a new way to love. And that means some sacrifices of our own preferences, our own convenience, so that we can help others know that they're loved by God. And that's what we were there to do in that orphanage was to communicate to young women that they were loved and cared for by God who created them in God's image. So think about that too in your own life. What are preferences, what are comforts, what are conveniences that you're holding on to in your own culture that are keeping you from loving others, that are keeping you from new ways of love? Because Christians are called not to be traditionalists. And then the fourth thing I would say to you is this. Christians are not nationalists. We're not nationalists. In fact, it says that right in the text. It says that Jesus didn't want us to love other people so they knew we were U.S. citizens. He says, I want you to love because so that everyone will know what about us, that we're disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, we're not a part of a nation. We're called to follow a king and we're part of a kingdom. We're actually a part of a monarchy. And if you think about Paul, and you look at the writings of Paul, every time he announces himself, he was a Roman citizen, but he was not preaching Rome to people. He was going in, and every time he writes a letter, he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ. That was his identity above his Roman citizenship, above everything else about his Jewish culture, his Jewish background. He was saying, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's why I do what I do. That's the label that we all need to take on, that is defined by love and love for others, not by politics, not by anything else, but really about our desire to love sacrificially. I would also add here, if, you're, if you watched the first service, I mean, you didn't get this, but second service, you get this. Jesus is not a Democrat, and Jesus is not a Republican. It's neither. There are values that line up with each of those political parties, but our discipleship is numero Uno, it is number one over our politics, over our citizenship. Our following Jesus and loving others is what our lives are to be defined by, not our politics. And that's where love comes in because sometimes we're going to have to lay aside some of those assumptions, some of those values, so that we can love like Jesus loved. Because he always got in trouble, did you notice with the Pharisees? Because they kept holding on to their traditions and what they wanted to do and they kept holding on to not being sin but to reach sinners sometimes you have to be with sinners you have to love people where they're at you know today is pentecost pentecost sunday i want you to note something that when the holy spirit came and the holy spirit was poured out upon the disciples what language did they speak one language Two languages? Three languages? Did they speak the language of one nation? Did they just say, hey, everybody's got to be an Israelite now? No. The message of the Holy Spirit, the love of God, came to people in every language, every tribe, every nation. And that's the thing about evangelicalism. We have always been about sharing that love of God with every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every culture. Because God's not just a God of one nation. God is a God of all people. God wants everyone to know, everyone to know the love of Jesus Christ. I want to pray. I want us to pause here and just pray, and then I'm going to give you some questions for discussion. But let's pray together. God, thank you that you love us, that you sent Jesus Christ into this world that regardless of race, regardless of background, regardless of culture, he came to love to bring all nations together, to bring every tribe together, and that your vision is a place of heaven where everybody of every background is together worshiping you, loving you, and loving each other. That's the vision you've given us, Lord. And God, we repent of the places we've shown favoritism, where we have even been foolish, in our ways of handling and relating to people of other cultures and races. So Lord, forgive us for our foolishness. Forgive us for our favoritism, or places where we've been given favoritism over others, and we may not even be aware of it. So Lord, help us to be people who repent of that, to know that, to be aware of that, so that we can love others the way that you love them, so that we can see others the way that you see them, and that they can see in us not our politics, not our traditions, not our practical desires and comforts and convenience. But ultimately, God, we want others to see the love of Christ in us and in others. So Lord, help us to love like you love. Help us to love sacrificially and to find new ways to love others regardless of where what their background is. So Lord, help us to love today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you some discussion questions this morning. Um, one is, as you think about this sermon, we just talked about these four misconceptions. Which of the four misconceptions do you experience the most and why? Maybe you experience it from other people and you're struggling with that. Uh, So think about that. Maybe that's part of it. So that's one way uh, you could talk about that. Number two is, which one do you personally struggle with the most and why? That means like, which one do you have a hard time like, letting go of? Maybe you're a little bit more in the traditionalist or maybe you're a pragmatist or maybe you do have some hate or resentment towards somebody else or maybe you are about US citizenship above others. And so maybe that's where you're at and that's okay just but maybe talk about that. Talk about what it is that you struggle with about that, or maybe you struggle with some of those uh, points as well. But the most important question I hope you get to in your groups this week and today is this question. What is the one new way God could be asking you to love sacrificially? I think more important than our thought, more important than our discussion is our action is actually how will we respond to this moment? How will we act differently? How will we love differently? A new command, right? How will we refresh and renew love towards others in our own lives today? So I want you to really think about that. If you spend most of your time, spend most of your time on question three today and think about that with your family or in your groups or wherever you are this morning. So I pray that those questions help you and let's find new ways to love others.